You're listening to Tone Vendors, the Sound Designers Podcast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Tone Menders, where we talk with the sonic artists behind your favorite films, series, and games. My name is Tim Muirhead and I will be your host for today. Joining me as my co-host is Teresa Morrow. Hey, Teresa, how are you doing? I'm good, Tim. Excellent. In this episode, we are continuing our series focusing on sound for documentaries, where we talk with these films' sound teams as well as the directors. Today, we will be talking about a wonderful documentary called The Territory. Teresa, can you set this film up for us? Yeah, sure. The Territory is a feature documentary that has won prizes at international film festivals all over the world this year, 2022, uh, including Sundance, where it won two prizes, uh, one of which was the Special Jury Award for Documentary Craft. So that's perfect for our podcast. So just to orient listeners a little bit, the film was shot in an area within the Brazilian Amazon over the course of several years. And it follows the ongoing conflict and struggle between the indigenous population and the people who are encroaching illegally on that territory, clear-cutting the forest piece by piece with the intention to settle there. Like I said, the film was made over the course of, I think, three years, including the years of the pandemic, which obviously profoundly affects the indigenous community in the film, but it also changed the way in which the film came together in interesting ways that I'm sure we'll get to talk more about. I'm sorry, it's hard to say enough in a short synopsis, and I hope that that was accurate, but uh, Tim, I'll let you introduce our guests. Yeah, I'm super happy to have the guests today because... I was lucky enough to sit in on a day of the mix of this film at Skywalker Ranch. I spent a wonderful day watching this team work along with re-recording mixer Tim Nielsen, building this amazing, lush, and emotional soundtrack. It was fascinating to watch how they all worked together with zero egos and a strong focus on what the film needed at each moment. So joining us are the film's composer, Katya Mikhailov from New York City. Katya's score on this film is beautiful, and I'm so glad we get to talk with her today. Welcome, Katya. Hello, thanks for having me. No problem. Next up is Rune Clausen, the film's sound designer. He's joining us from Copenhagen. Rune and I bonded over wild deer sightings at the ranch, so it's great to talk to him again. Hey, Rune, how you doing? <laughs> hey, Tim. Good to see you again. Good to see you. I think this marks a new record for our podcast, as Peter Albrechtson will now be our guest with the most appearances on Tonebenders. He's no longer tied for the lead. Peter is the sound designer and sound supervisor on the territory. And after all my virtual chats with him, it was so lovely to meet him in person finally. Welcome back on our show, Peter. It's great to see you. Thank you. Does this make me very old or what? Uh, yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we have a real treat. The film's director, Alex Pritz, is with us. It's always great to have directors join to talk about their approach to sound on their films. Alex, welcome to Tonebenders. Thanks, Tim. And I was sad. I, I missed the day that you were sitting in, in our mix, but... Hopefully that's not the reason there was no ego in the room. We'll, we'll see on this podcast, I guess. See how it shapes up. <laughs> yeah, I did show up on the one day Alex wasn't there. So uh, yeah, I got to eat his uh, lunch that was provided. So that was a great bonus of the day. Um, Alex, let's start with you. Uh, you're making this film and now you have to approach the sound team. What are your instructions? How do you want the film to sound? What are the main obstacles you want to warn them about? Uh, how did you present this to the sound team? Well, I think one of the things that, um, you know, we did was, was start that conversation really early. So I wasn't coming in so much with a set of directives as a set of questions that we could approach together. I think Peter was the first person that that conversation began with. And it was, 
while we were still in production. You know, we still had several shoots left to do. We were still grabbing, um, you know, fields, sounds, and, and trying to think about how to tell this story about these two opposing sides of an active conflict through sound. And, you know, the, the film itself has a lot of different characters. I, I usually am sort of allergic to documentaries, especially that have too many characters, because I start to forget their names and things blend together. And one of the ways that we really tried to help audiences differentiate who we were with at any given time was giving them their own kind of unique soundscape and unique uh, compositional score that helped us uh, create a, an attachment to those people. And so, yeah, that, that conversation just started really early and then influenced the way that we even shot and, and edited the film. Peter, what were your first thoughts when the project was brought to you? I thought it was amazing to have these early conversations. That's really my kind of thing with both documentaries and fiction films, like, like the earlier, the better. It was really cool because not only did we have conversations between Alex and I, but also with Katya. And we had a lot of talks about very early on, like how do we make sound and music come together? And uh, then Katya was planning on like taking an actual big trip down there to the Amazon to record lots of sounds, uh, lots of music, but also lots of sounds. So we had these long conversations about like, okay, so what kind of sounds, how should they be recorded? And it actually meant that from the very beginning of that collaboration, that one of the things that I really love about the film's sound and, and music is how the two interact and how how there's this like very close collaboration between sound and music. And that really came from those early conversations. And Katya can tell much more about her amazing trip down there where she got all these wonderful sounds, crazy sounds, beautiful sounds, wild sounds, um, which Katya then shared with us in the sound department. And then after that, horn came on and then the whole thing just was pretty much like a roller coaster from there. We started the project regarding sound editing pretty much all together in Copenhagen. So we had kind of, this was like closer to the finalization of the picture edit, but still the picture editing was going on. So we all met and kind of had this workshop together, which was really brilliant because it was a great way of kind of finding out, okay, so now we talked so much, so how should it actually sound? And we were sitting in Ole's studio and making these first sketches for the film. And I, one of my favorite sequences in the film is this sequence in the middle of the film where you really see the forest being burned down and it's tragic and it's visceral and it's actually also poetic.
all those things came together, I think, because there was this close collaboration from the get-go. Katya, do you want to talk a bit about this trip and, and what sorts of sounds you brought back and what you're, what you were looking for to add to your music? Yes. Uh, uh, first of all, just to the point of Peter, um, I think sound design made my music come alive at the final mix stage. And uh, it's it all worked together so seamlessly because it, was, it came from one source um, and a true authentic source of um, environments that these indigenous communities live in. And those environments are never silent. So they're... Um, you know, there's an orchestral Amazonian uh, symphony that's happening like at all times that I was recording. So it all sounded very different if if I were to imitate something like that in a studio. And yeah, I was very lucky that the director Alex and the producer Gabrielle brought me for a couple of weeks to be in that environment in the Amazon rainforest within this um community that the story is about for me to just physically be in there with my ears open was everything <laughs> that a composer needs to you know dive in into a complex story and, and you know under currents of this environment so I, I, I had a lot of stories uh, that <laughs> I could tell over and over to probably my kids about it at some point, but um, there were aspects of me recording natural world, uh, you know, bird calls, forest peacocks, village pet birds that would come up, uh, you know, that they would have like almost like a dog's uh, crickets, anything that was alive. Um, there was a part where I went and met a community that lives in uh, near Manaus in uh, Amazonia, which is a community of musicians, and we worked on recording their heritage, like their folk vocal uh, pieces, as well as different instruments uh, that you know I, I never thought would make it to the film, but everything was pretty useful because it was all you know music and sound design that uh, blend it together. So sometimes you can't tell what element is music and what element is sound design. And that's, I think, the magic of this um, process. And also emotionally to feel, to hear through like a contact mic when the tree is falling, the illegally logged uh, Brazil nut tree that's you can hear through your headphones how the cracks are forming within the tree while, you know, the, the logger is taking it down. You feel like you're witnessing a death. And the weight, uh, the understanding becomes within you. And that's what composer needs. I'll add quickly, just, I, I remember the first time we met Katya, and we'd been talking about this film online so much, and we met at this little restaurant in... Um, the East Village of New York, a little, I think it was a Turkish place. And Katya showed up to have lunch together. And she had gone and not told me, gone on eBay and purchased this instrument called the, the Koika, or the Koika. It's a Brazilian instrument often used in samba. And it's, it's a funky looking thing. And it, it sounds like a bird. And we'd been talking about instruments that sound like the natural environment and, and animals that we could record that sound like instruments and how we could play with these two things together. So it, 
you know, her work would merge with the forest in a way. And Katya just started playing this thing in the restaurant and all everybody around us was looking over like, what is there a bird in the restaurant? Is there like a huge bird? What's going on? And and so I just loved that approach that, that you brought, Katya, of being really playful with the things that could be recorded as an instrument. And it it changed the way that I was thinking about the film as well, because we'd drive down the road and I'd be like, God, there's nothing to film here. This is such a boring landscape. And Katya would get out and start playing the fence, you know, and, and start strumming the fence as if it was an instrument. And I, I just thought that your creativity and playfulness when it came to what could be instrumentalized um, really added a lot to the whole soundscape. Thanks for saying that. <laughs> so you brought those sounds back to Runa and Peter and uh, ended up being able to share those into the sound design portion of the film? Yes, I brought the most random things. To, I was very nervous to start. Um, I spoke with Peter beforehand and realized this guy's not joking around and I need to deliver. <laughs> and, uh, and, <laughs> and since I've never done anything like that, you know, field recordings wasn't something that I, I would do every day. And especially in the Amazon, every day that, you know, I was in Brazil, I really tried to find something interesting. And actually, it wasn't that difficult. There was interesting sounds all around me. Oh, but Katya, you're selling it. It was pretty difficult. Katya, <laughs> some of these sounds that she had to get required, like you know, hiking until 4 a.m. in the pouring rain up a mud-sliding mountain to get, like, one frog sound. So I, it was not <laughs> just easy. <laughs> so, Rune, when you get this uh, pile of sounds, uh, what was your first approach to start cataloging them, listening to them? What, how, what was your uh, reaction to them? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we got them, I think, one week before the workshop Peter talked about where we all came together. So yeah, we had time to listen to them and we used them for yeah, the birds, the, the animal sounds, we used the cicadas, we used the rainforest sounds, we used a lot of, and Katja already did catalog them and naming them. And we used the backgrounds, kids playing, having fun for the village. And it was awesome to, to get that package from, from Katja. Also because it was important for us also to make the environment uh, true. Uh, also for the Uruwawao community to, when they uh, experienced the film, that they could recognize their rainforest and their villages sounding like they used to in the day and in the afternoon and in the evenings and stuff like that. So. One of the things that I noticed right away is how this version of the Amazon sounds so different from a lot of the documentaries or even feature films that I've seen that are in the Amazon forest. Like, if it felt like you were trying to make the forest sound the way it would sound to people who live there rather than to the way people from the outside might feel like the forest is, like, oppressively loud and... Um, kind of threatening. And that is not how the Amazon sounds when we're with the indigenous people. And I wonder if that's something that you guys had to sort out and, and find a way into making it sound the way it would sound to those people. It was definitely important that it was very enveloping. And you really got this feeling of being there 
with the characters. That's also why it was amazing to mix the film in Dolby Atmos because you had this chance of making the mix even more enveloping, really like you were surrounded by the sounds of the of the rainforest. But I mean, the, the thing is that often when you have recordings from a jungle, then it's so dense. There's so many sounds playing at once. If you just hear like a recording from the rainforest, there's birds, insects, like uh, playing, playing at once. I remember Rune kind of laying down the first ambiences and we were like, okay, so um, we simply need to find a lot of singular elements for the forest. And then, yeah, we got hold of all these recordings that Katja had made and like other forest recordings to kind of get this feeling of many layers so that we could spread out the sound and not just make it a wall of noise, but really get this feeling that everything was moving around you. So there's, I mean, the sounds of the environment is constantly kind of moving around you and there's like small things. It, it feels very alive. And, and it's also one of the things that, we did even more. I mean, we kind of made a first mix for Sundance, then Nat Geo bought the film, and then we were giving the opportunity of making a new mix at Skywalker, this, uh, spending two weeks with Tim Nilsson over there. And that really opened up for being even more refined and detailed with like ambiences, for example. There's a lot of details and layers and sounds um, so, uh, yeah, that was really, really important to create that feeling of being there. While I was there, while you we were mixing, what really stuck out to me was the majority of the time was spent on the ambiences. I guess at that point, most of the dialogue had been cleaned up and set. But every time the camera angle changed, uh, new uh, elements of the forest were emphasized or de-emphasized. It wasn't just dropping blankets of sound over everything. Every... Uh, Every camera angle, every scene change had very intentional sound design to the ambience. And uh, that was something that I found really inspiring. And the, the amount of time and care that went into the ambiences was really, uh, it shines through. I got to see the, I got to watch you work on about 10, 15 minutes of the film. And then I got to see the film in Atmos here in Toronto after it was released. And uh, it really is an engulfing experience. One of the, the few films that I feel like Atmos really was worth the uh, effort. Rune, how, how did you feel about building all those? Yeah, thank you, Tim, uh, for the kind words. Um, as you mentioned, we really w didn't want just a bed of a rainforest. We wanted that bird to change when, when the camera went that way, and we wanted that monkey to be on the other side. When So, yeah, we worked a lot with that, and... We also worked a lot of coming uh, from the rainforest to the vast areas where everything was cut down and burnt. Um, there might have been more birds, more monkeys, more insects in that area as well. But we went. We wanted that to feel the difference between the the nice rainforest with all the animals' lives and the vast areas with dry dirt and yeah, flies. Flies and yeah. So one of the difficulties of shooting this film, Alex, I assume, is that when COVID came up, your access was uh, limited. And so parts of this film are shot by the subjects of the film. 
And that really changes the intimacy and uh, it really makes it an amazing film. But I assume that also brought up challenges of tech and uh, sound. Uh, how did you overcome that? Take me through that a bit. Yeah. Uh, one of the big shifts in the film comes when we as an outside film team lose access to this community. We can't visit them in person anymore. Um, and, you know, from the very beginning, Bitate, the young indigenous protagonist at the film, uh, we, we would try to get a lab mic on him. The first thing when he woke up, you know, last thing to do after you brush your teeth at the end of the night. And sometimes he'd kind of complain about it and say, oh, gosh, this is really tedious. Um, but I was always talking about how important the audio is and how important the lab mic is. And so then when COVID came and they began filming themselves, you know, we had a conversation about what type of equipment do you need? How, how can we make this exchange work as seamlessly as possible? And one of the first things B. Today said to me was, okay, Alex, I know how important the lab mics are now. So don't <laughs> skimp on the lab mics. We want the same ones you guys had. And so... You know, we got these cameras that had two XLR inputs, one for a wireless lab, the same models and everything we had, um, and then a moisture-resistant shotgun microphone so that they could be, you know, really capturing all of this and we didn't have to do as much reconstructive work in post as maybe we would have otherwise. But they are incredible cinematographers and have a better sense of the forest than I ever could. And it was one of the things I noticed first when I started working with them in the forest is, to me, the forest feels like a wall of sound. And I think to a lot of Western ears, it feels like this overbearing thing almost, you know, noise on top of noise. And uh, there's just more life than we're used to. And so it's harder for our ears to differentiate that. And it can feel like clawing and almost aggressive. But to them, you know, they're ears are keenly attuned and they can pick up the noise over here. They know exactly what species that is and that that's calling to this other animal over here. And the forest can become a, a bit more symbiotic and you can sense the relationships within the forest when it's not all just layered on top of itself. And so that was one of the things we thought about with the sound design too, was, you know, how to, how to make the forest feel alive and, and think about animals in pairs sometimes, you know, so it's not just calling out into the wilderness, but it's engaged in a relationship between another animal that's out there. Um, and so I think that is one of the things that's unique about the way that this whole soundscape was built and the ambiences that Huna and Peter were able to put together is that it, it feels warm. Um, you know, it doesn't feel as aggressive as I think other versions of the rainforest. And that's the way that these people move through the rainforest too. You know, they can move quickly and effortlessly with, you know, a sense of grace and their respect for this place as their home is imbued in, in that and, and their emotional relationship to the land. You know, I think you can feel even in, in the footsteps and the way that we had them kind of traveling sonically through the rainforest, as opposed to these settlers who view the rainforest as something to be dominated, something that is hostile and aggressive, you know, this wilderness that needs to be tamed. And so they are accompanied by this metallic, aggressive, industrial clang of, you know, machines and chainsaws and all, all the accompanying um, accoutrements of, of their version of progress. Rune, Peter, the sound that was recorded by the subjects, was it uh, is the same quality? Did you have to work any harder on it or...? Mm, yeah, a, a little bit harder, and it also has a it also has a little other flavor. But actually, I think that suits the film that you can you can in a way see see and hear when when you are 
in the live action. But yeah, all around, it, it was good recordings in Brazil and in those areas that just cicadas all over. So we did, <laughs> we did a lot of, yeah, reducing them, but without removing them totally. So yeah, so mostly about reducing cicadas. <laughs> so something that I wanted to dig into a little bit is uh, normally when we see films like this, there's good guys and bad guys. In this film, everyone has an understandable motivation. They might be doing something that I personally don't agree with, but I understand why they're doing it. And how can you go about, I guess maybe Katya, maybe you can start this building themes for the different characters in the film to make it so they don't, you know, you can't make anyone feel evil or all good. Everyone's in this gray area kind of thing. Um, yes, it's a good question. I think it's it was a team effort to do that. I think my first uh, try of musically describing Sergio, who is a farmer and, you know, like hardworking man, tries his best to, you know, get a piece of land to work on. He, um, my first attempt after talking to Alex and overthinking the complexity of the character was was an epic failure, honestly. Uh, and then um, after showing it to the very small group of people, um, people want to feel the true authenticity from music. It's a documentary. It's it's a very important aspect. So at the end, it really worked together with more of um, what he gives us, what he shows us, what he his whole uh, character is screaming about is the Western, you know, hardworking man theme of like using really raunchy guitar, uh, banjo-like instruments, going total Western style on him. And I used a lot of those uh, fences that are everywhere in Brazil that have just, you know, metal wires. And the wires always make these like eerie noises that kind of reminds you metallic guitars. There's a lot of that for Sergio that worked. And for um, other characters that I met personally in, um, in the community, like Bitate, uh, you know that he's a spirit. He's like a spirit of the jungle. And uh, he's also represents a lot of strength and new energy. And I... Uh, used um, some of the indigenous instruments like, um, it's called jurupari. It's a horn. It's uh, made out of uh, bark of this tree that only grows in the Amazon and it has ability to walk through, um, like to move through the jungle, uh, like on the crab legs, sort of in, in search for the sun. Uh, very slowly, but it, it does change location. So the bark of this tree is used to make this amazing instrument uh, looks like a giant horn and uh, I learned while staying with the community that it's a biggest no-no for a woman to ever touch that instrument uh, and 
somehow I would always like trip over it, like fall on it. And apparently it was like a biggest curse that you don't want to do. And everyone like in the village was horrified of my behavior. Um, so <laughs> I, yeah, but you know, I think, I think, uh, it was worth it because the, I think that's also, a, was a big uh, instrument that represented the strength of the community and Bitate. And Nadine was like our biggest heart, the heart and the soul of this film. And I, um, Nadina is the she's the activist who is working on behalf of these indigenous populations. That's correct, um, and she, uh, to me, associated right away with this bird that I met and uh, that greeted us in the first village we went to record at, and that bird made this sort of alien sounds coming from its underbelly, and spending a day chasing that bird with a shotgun mic. Uh, with, with Alex's help, <laughs> it sounded electronic, the bird, but it also had this huge volume, the depth and the soul that uh, I used to represent Nadine. Some of the most anxious moments of the film, the bird comes in and you don't know whether it's a voice, an instrument, or a, is it a natural sound? Is it an electronic sound? A lot of people say, I use a lot of electronics, there were some electronics, but a lot of it wasn't. So it's interesting how our ear can't decide whether <laughs> the natural sounds becomes electronic, digital. I mean, also sound-wise, every character in the film has moments which are very subjective and poetic and actually quite beautiful. <clears throat> the sound design isn't saying this is a bad person or this is a good person. Every character has its very kind of delicate sonic moments. And I thought that was incredibly important to this film to make it very nuanced and subtle and also giving this more kind of refined view of the conflict, but also respecting the characters. And I think that something that is amazing with sound that you can do with sound in a story like this is this kind of connection that you get with a character through the sound because you use it subjectively and immediately when you use sound subjectively for a character then as an audience member you connect to this person it's quite amazing it's just this kind of emotional connection that's built immediately through sound and we do that with all the characters can you think of an example of one of these subjective sequences? Um, there's very, very loud places in this film, but there's also, for every character, there's moments where we take away all sound and we're just there with hearing like a small, tiny movement of something. The folia of Heike Kossi is like spectacular and very, very detailed. And with his help, we had this chance of like zooming in on small, small sounds and kind of making them kind of stand out and creating this intimate connection to the characters. May I add that uh, my favorite uh, sound of Heike, I mean, I have, I'm a big fan, but uh, the butterfly that flies out uh, during the uh, scene on the water, it just like, oh, it elevates everything, the scene, the music, the butterfly, it's just like, I don't know, it's, it's the coolest little sound that <laughs> I can never stop hearing. For me, one of the moments that I remember most, which was really one of these collaborative moments where we, we had scored a whole 
a whole song for this section where Sergio is for the first time showing us the maps of his land grab and, and letting us in on his master plan for what he's trying to take, which is a huge portion of this indigenous land. And it's late at night and he's lit by a single bulb above him. And we had built a whole score for it. And it was one of these things where it ended up feeling quite sinister. Like it was really, it's dark, it's at night, he's got a single bulb. And so then we kind of pulled back on the song and tried to figure out how we could do the sound design. And what really came through, which I thought was so beautiful, was Heike built a, a slight rattling to his house, just so you could hear a little bit of, of the house's movement, which is really how his house is. It's, you know, single panes of wood in the open, barren land that's been deforested. And that vulnerability that came from feeling like the house that he was in was not totally secure. That gave you a sense of why Sergio was embarking on this really bold, sinister land grab, but without doing it in a way that felt really obvious with, you know, a dark, ominous tone underneath. It was just this slight creaking that told you so much more about his life and his economic situation and layered, um, you know, his character in these really beautiful ways. So for me, that was one of these like, collaborative moments where we had to talk through everything. We had to talk through character. We had to talk through story. We had to talk through music, sound design, Foley. And, and then it all came together in a really nice way. Dentro dessa área aqui vai ter, eu acredito que vai dar de mil, mil e poucas famílias já esparramado para cá, para dentro, assim. Produzindo alguma coisa, plantando para fazer nosso Brasil para frente. We talk to sound design teams uh, regularly on this podcast, and uh, they regularly bring up things they learned from the directors on the various films that they've worked on. And I'm wondering, Alex, if I can uh, turn that around on you and maybe you can tell us some things you learned from uh, working on the sound on this film. Oh my gosh. <laughs> How long do you have? Um, I learned so much from this team. I mean, this is, this is the first feature film that I've worked on and could not imagine a better team of people to learn from than, you know, Tim Nielsen at Skywalker, Peter and Huna, who are legends at, you know, towering figures in their field, and Katya, who, whose work I respect so much, and we've worked on another short film together. Um, you know, I think I, I edited differently, and I'm so glad we started these conversations early so that I could have the chance to go back, and we reopened the entire edit after Sundance and were able to change a lot of things, especially in the score and a lot more sound design work, because I... I learned how to edit differently for a feature film based on, you know, the, the sound work that we were doing and, you know, should mention our incredible editor, Carlos Rojas, who I learned a lot from too. Um, but, you know, little things like we, we wanted to build into a moment and a cut felt too hard and Peter would take the first syllable of something somebody said, reverse it and then add reverb to it so we could kind of ramp into a statement that somebody was saying. Like little things like that all the way up into, you know, big ideas about how much more space you can leave in an edit and how much storytelling can really happen uh, through the sound design and it doesn't need to happen through picture. Everybody I have talked to on this project has been interested in sound and sound design. Our producer, Cyril, and 
Alex, producer Will, and just the whole team, I think, has wanted the sound to be great and wanted to talk about the sound and wanted to... Yeah, and Alex had great ambitions for the sound and it was just awesome <laughs> to, to have that many people caring about the sound design. I want to mention one sequence, um, small montage where Bolsonaro becomes the president. It's a sequence that in most documentaries, that would be kind of news reports saying, now he's the president. We see these people and like it's told in a very kind of almost TV style. But like when we were mixing, we already had some like textures and things that made that moment more ambient. But then Alex got this idea of like, okay, so let's really push it. And there was a rhythm that we took from some music and we did layers, weird textures. And it's this very abstract montage, but it has all this kind of like craziness of madness of the situation told through sound. Things like that, that is such bold documentary filmmaking because it's very emotional storytelling. You feel what's going on. You're not told what's going on. Awesome. Well, that's a great note to uh, end this talk on. Thank you very much for joining us today. This was really great. As Teresa and I both mentioned in the intro, uh, the film is really wonderful and uh, it's something to be really proud of. And anybody listening that hasn't seen it, uh, make an effort to see it. Thanks again, everybody. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Teresa. Thank you. One more thing before we go. Thank you to Faith Abdi-Hayar for the editorial assistance with this episode. Faith is a freelance sound designer and sound effects editor currently doing work for films, games, and podcasts. You can find her on her website at fabbysound.com or on Twitter at fabbyhaydar. Thanks, Faith. Also, thank you to Katrina Amsler for donating her Sonic Springs library to our volunteer editors. You can find a link to this amazing collection of sounds on this episode's page at the Tonebenders website, tonebenderspodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Tonebenders is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. 